Happy almost 2020 this week. Wow, it feels really good to come to the end of another year with you. 2019 has been very full. I was installed here in January, which from our general perspective means we just had another reason to eat cake together, which is great. And I ended this year by celebrating five years of marriage with Eric, so it's been a really full, a full year. There have been some vacations, mission trips, lots of meetings, many moments of joy. It has been very busy and rewarding, as I'm sure it has for you, too. As a new year begins, I am grateful for a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and for the consistency of the word of God as we gather to worship. With that being said, would you join me in prayer? God, the prophets foretold your coming. The poor longed to see you. The heavens celebrated your birth. The apostles, the martyrs, and the faithful down through the ages repeated the songs of the angels. Your church praises you in every human language, for she has seen your salvation. Son of God, you humbled yourself and became a servant, raising us up to share in your glory. We were in darkness, and you have given us light and strength, peace and joy. Lead us according to your loving will. Make us a people who follow you in holiness. Give us generous hearts to hear your word and produce in us abundant fruit through the power of your spirit. Amen. Friends, let's turn together to the word of the Lord from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. Hebrews 2, chapter 10. Nope, Hebrews 2, verse 10 through 18. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angel he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the season of Advent, we anticipate Jesus, 
at Christmas, we meet Jesus. And with the new year, the beginning of the season of Epiphany, we celebrate the coming together of God and humanity through the person of Jesus, the mystery of the incarnation. Each of those steps, Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany, bring us closer to God's character, God's will, and God's intention for our lives. The author of the book of Hebrews believed that Christians, people who love and follow God, have direct access to God through Christ, which is outlined in the opening of the letter. The beginning of the letter says this, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things. The Son is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's being, writes the author of Hebrews. The message version says Jesus perfectly mirrors God or he's stamped with God's nature. When people used to hear from God, it was through a third-party mediator, like a prophet or a priest, carrying a word from the Lord to be shared with the people or from the people back to the Lord. But because of Jesus, now people can talk and follow and be directly with God because God came close. Emmanuel, God is with us. Through the incarnation, the coming together of God and humanity, God communicated a desire to be near to us. Our entire religion is postured on that fact that God would gather us in as Gentiles and walk among us. We need the incarnation. If Jesus didn't come as a physical being, how would we know that truly every aspect of who we are is redeemed and loved by God? The incarnation teaches us that nothing is too irredeemable for God. Nothing is too far, too far gone or too spoiled or too offensive. As the writer says in our text this morning, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Professor Craig Cooster of Luther Seminary notices four pictures of Jesus in today's passage. Perhaps you notice them as well that help us understand who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. These are the four pictures Professor Cooster noticed. Jesus the pioneer, that one was in the title. Jesus the pioneer. Jesus the brother. Jesus the liberator. And Jesus the high priest. Pioneer, brother, liberator, and high priest. As he describes these four pictures of Jesus, Professor Kuster notices that our attention is going to be drawn to the Jesus we are needing. If we long for a clearer future or a different future, we seek Jesus the pioneer. If we crave a sense of belonging, we seek Jesus the brother. If we feel stuck in a situation that is beyond our control, perhaps we seek Jesus the liberator. And if we are lost in destructive patterns of behavior, 
Perhaps we seek Jesus, the high priest. Maybe you are seeking one or two of those pictures of Jesus this morning, or maybe you could use them all. When I first preached on this text a couple years ago, I was drawn to that second picture of Jesus, Jesus the brother, the one who sees our shame and is not ashamed, the sibling who calls us family now and invites us into deep discipleship now, the Savior who looks at us and says, you are very good. I know I will always be drawn to Jesus the brother because I need the reminder as I'm sure we all do, that God loves us and accepts us. God approaches us from a place of empathy, from a place of commonality. God's forgiveness comes to us like a faithful friend who can pull you into a hug and say, I know you did the best you can. That's Jesus, the brother. God understands. God is with us. As I turn to the text again, I am drawn to Jesus, the pioneer. As I consider where God is calling me personally and wonder where God is calling us, North Holland Reformed Church, I'm eager to follow the one who knows the way. A pioneer is someone who makes a way forward for others, someone who is courageous and adventurous, seeking a better life in a new place, Often pioneers are charting unexplored territory with a rugged terrain, be that literally or scientifically, psychologically, ethically, medically, or spiritually. We could likely come up with multiple lists of pioneers who have paved the way for humanity. We are inspired by these pioneers. We look up to their example. We seek wisdom from their experience. And we respect the sacrifice they made as they surveyed uncharted land. The book of Hebrews presents Jesus as the pioneer who opens the way to God, to a relationship with God along a new path of glory. Jesus overthrows death and forges a new way for humanity to be in relationship with God. In Hebrews 2.10, Jesus is called the pioneer of salvation. What a title. Hear these words again, Hebrews 2.10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what? Perfect through what he suffered. The suffering of the pioneer of salvation is not super explicit in this passage, But Jesus does quote Psalm 22 in Hebrews 2, verse 12. Right there, he's quoting Psalm 22. And that psalm depicts some really intense imagery of suffering. It's lonely and violent. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 22. But I am worn and not a man scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of earth. Dogs surround me. 
A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We hear these words, and we remember Jesus' crucifixion. Maybe that came to your mind. Where Jesus was mocked, he was pierced, he was thirsty as he suffocated to death on the cross, but suffering was an important theme in Jesus' life, not only in his death. Jesus pioneered a new way to follow God that was both smaller than the eye of a needle, yet inclusive enough for anyone to find. He learned the stories of God's people and framed their history in the narrative of God's shalom. As he did this, he was questioned by religious elite. He was doubted by his closest friends, tempted by the devil, under threat of persecution and death, always on the road, seeking every opportunity to speak the good news of God's coming kingdom, whether that was to overflowing crowds on the Mount of Olives or to one woman at a local well. Jesus was not a conquering pioneer. He was not a rich pioneer. He was not always a well-loved pioneer. Jesus did not reserve his salvific invitation for the law-abiding folks. His message of salvation was for those who knew well what it meant to suffer and to be tempted. Jesus pioneered a path of servitude, teaching us that salvation is found in the lowly places for all types of people. He did not seek greatness, but he did seek righteousness. The entire book of Hebrews testifies to Jesus' perseverance in his own faith on the long earthly journey toward experiencing the fullness of God's salvation. Suffering, as we know, is an inevitable part of human life, and yet we have God's access to God's salvation when we suffer because Jesus suffered along the path to glory, not just in his death, but in his life. Hear these words of encouragement from Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. And again, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. This one's really good. Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, 
opened for us through the curtain by his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I really love that language of holding unswervingly, as I swerve while I say it, holding unswervingly to the hope we profess, and of spurring one another to love and to good deeds in response to the pioneer of our salvation. That's really, really beautiful. And I think we sometimes move away from that model every once in a while. The Western church's main model of discipleship for a long time has been classroom-based. So I go to church or to Sunday school or to youth group or Bible Bible study, and I absorb the lecture. I'm told what three to five things I need to take away from that experience, but that's it. Discipleship, the, the, the path of salvation, it's a thing I put on my calendar with a start time and an end time. While going to church and going to Sunday school and youth group and Bible study absolutely have a really important place, this is not the picture of salvation Jesus is pioneering for us in this passage. If you read the Gospels, Jesus doesn't run programs or go to Bible studies, but he does teach He asks questions, but his faith didn't stay within the walls of one building or one program or one conversation. Jesus' faith was rooted in relationship with God and with neighbor. That's it. He was committed to a love that always uplifted the lowly and encouraged the downtrodden. His faith was always active and always paying attention. And that is a very difficult path to pioneer because it means you will suffer. The way of salvation and of discipleship is one of suffering, of trying hard to do the right thing and failing, of feeling discouraged by circumstances outside your control. It's one of grief, loneliness, and fear. We see this modeled by Jesus all the time. He is deeply impacted when people miss the good news of the gospel. He spends time alone. He experiences temptation in the wilderness and is so afraid in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweats drops of blood. But this way of salvation is also the birthplace of authenticity and connection. It's the road where we learn faithful dependence on God. It's the place where we are loved by our neighbors and we reciprocate that love. It's a place of sharing, not of competition. It's an honest, intimate, God-honoring space. And it's from this space that Jesus prays this prayer in John 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, 
that your son may be glorified. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and I know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may be in them. As we consider this text and the path of salvation carved out by Jesus, we are invited to remember with great joy that we are no longer enslaved by the fear of death. We are members of God's family. When we are tempted, we are not lost or unforgivable. God shared in our humanity. He knows us and he loves us. He is merciful and faithful. And we are also invited to take on the path of salvation Jesus pioneered for us, one where we intentionally build up loving relationships with our neighbors, one where we are deeply committed to loving God, one where we do not merely know things about God, but pursue God actively everywhere, every day. And we do this with assurance and servant hearts, knowing that the way has been paved by a good and gracious pioneer. Let's pray together. God of all history, thank you for the Bible. Through your word, we learn that you love your people dearly, and we learn that we are your people. Thank you that your word shapes our identity. Thank you that your word gives us hope for the future. As your word has been read and preached, send your spirit so that we can know our role in your ongoing work in our world. For this we are grateful. In your name we pray. Amen.